a man was on a, uh, um, a golf course. We have a golf outing coming a week from today. And he was on the, the um, driving range at the golf club. And the pro walked up with um, a student who was paying him for a lesson. And so the pro watched the, the man swing a few times and uh, started offering suggestions for improvement. But every time he offered a suggestion for an improvement, the man interrupted him with his own version of what was wrong and how he should correct it. And so after a few times, the pro just started nodding every time the man started talking. And at the end of the lesson, the student paid the, uh, paid the pro and congratulated him on his expertise as a teacher and then went away apparently pleased with what he'd learned that day. So the observer who was standing next to them was just a bit astonished um, by the performance, right? And, and he asked the pro, he said, why did you go along with him? And the old pro said as he carefully uh, put the money in his wallet that he'd received from the guy, he said, son, he said, I, I learned a long time ago that it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who only wants to hear echoes. Sometimes we find this disconnect between what we say we want and what we actually want. Like the man who said he wanted instruction, but instead he just wanted validation of his own skill and his own knowledge. Or like the time um, in Florida had a lady come into my office who said she wanted pastoral counseling. Now she had a bit of reputation among the staff, <laughs> and so they warned me that she would abuse my time if I let her. So I scheduled an hour to meet with her, and I scheduled an appointment after that so that um, I could have a graceful exit <laughs> from this conversation. And so after 50 minutes of her just speaking consistently, in the middle of a sentence, I just stopped her. And I said, um, I won't give you her name, not that you would know her, <laughs> but, but I said, you know, you said that you wanted to come in for pastoral counseling. But so far, we've been together 50 minutes, and you've done nothing but talk. And so we have 10 minutes left. If you want to continue to talk for those 10 minutes, that's fine. Um, but if you really want any counsel, you're going to have to be quiet long enough for me to speak. <laughs> so she talked for 10 minutes, and then we parted ways. <laughs> she didn't want answers, right? She wanted echoes, and there's a difference. Turn to Psalm 139 if you're not there already. We're going to wrap up this psalm, and we're going to see in Psalm 139, if we haven't already, what makes David such a special follower of God. We've sat back and, and tried to take in all that David has shared with us about God, about his knowledge, about his presence, um, about his creation. We've acknowledged some of our own inadequacies in terms of understanding everything that David has shared, but still appreciated the truth and the application of that truth to our lives and here in this last section, we're going to see how David puts what he knows from these first 18 verses, how he puts that into practice in his life. And I'm sp referring specifically to, to his prayer in verses 23 and 24, and it's a prayer for understanding. 
Okay? I love how David, with him, um, there's no gap. Right? There's no gap between what he shared with us and what he actually does. In verse 1 of this psalm, he wrote, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And here in verses 23 and 24, the end of this psalm, in our text, he prays, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I'm not saying that David's words in verses 1 through 18 are purely academic. Okay? In fact, based on this prayer, I would say just the opposite. That everything that David has shared with us thus far, based on his prayer at the end of the psalm, is validated to have been captured in both his heart and his mind. He thought it, and then he lived it. He understood it, and then he applied it. But you see the shift. Like according to verse 1, God already knew these things. So David prayed this prayer for his own sake. Okay? He wanted to know the state of his heart. He wanted to know the reality of his thoughts. He wanted to know the purity of his motives. He knew what we all know, right? that the heart is deceptive. Okay? I can rationalize almost anything. I mean, I can find a verse and pull it out of context and make it say whatever I want it to say. Okay? I can shine the light on someone else's sin to make life seem how I want it to seem. I can disguise my own um, inadequacies. I can claim things to be true even though I know that they are not. And David is wanting God's light to shine on his life. He wants to know um, what he's missing. He wants to know where and if he is wrong. He wants to know when he's doing something for the wrong reasons. He wants to know who he's offending and why. And so he prays this prayer. The idea is, um, search me, God, thoroughly. Examine me, not merely my outward conduct, but what I think about. What are my purposes? What passes through my mind? Examine what occupies my imagination and my memory. What secures my affections? And maybe ultimately, what is it that affects and controls my will? David is searching for answers, not for echoes. He's seeking a true understanding of the condition of his heart and his life so that if there are unresolved or unaddressed issues, he can address them. That's what I think is going on here. Most people are challenged to engage God with such honesty and a willingness to be exposed. Many, I venture to say, never do. Okay? Now, um, I'm going to suggest that this particular prayer, this discipline, this honest prayer, is a great discipline for us to engage in before we act, <laughs> instead of afterwards. 
okay, as a filter, if you would, especially when we're looking for godly outcomes for our actions, that we would be bold enough to say, God, search me before I do this. The end of the prayer says, and lead me in your way. The first part says, I need help with this. Now, there are times um, then we, we sense, right, that what we are about to do is either personally very challenging okay, or has the potential to impact other people or the potential um, to be misunderstood. And so when the outcome is potentially so impacting, we need to make sure that our hearts and our minds and our motives and our actions are pure. We ask God to search us in order to confirm that we're actually being led by Him. Like, this is what I'm thinking. God, is this what you're thinking? This is what I um, want, or this is what I think, but what I really want is to know what you want. And what I really want is to think what you think. I want to know that it's your idea, not just my idea. Now, one of those times um, that we see where this is productive, we actually find in this passage in Psalm 139. But I want to break out for you four circumstances where I think that this prayer might be helpful as we look at some filters. Okay, the filters, when I need to be searched, when this is important or productive to do before I act or respond. Okay, and if I can make a connection from last week's message, I think this is a great um, exercise for us to practice during the pause that we talked about last week, okay? I, I think you have to be paused to seriously pray a prayer like this one. And, and more importantly, if we want to receive an answer to the prayer that we are praying, okay? Now, I can and do pray on the fly a lot, okay? It's how, at least for me, I live out um, the command that we read back in 1 Thessalonians where we're told to pray continually, okay? So those quick and uh, sometimes often prayers might be initiated by um, a passing comment, okay? By a prayer chain phone call, by a Facebook post, um, by a thought about someone or something and knowing what's going on in their lives, this ongoing commitment that we have to pray for a person or a situation, Okay? Um, and while it doesn't necessarily take a long time to pray this prayer here in Psalm 139 and link it to a given choice or situation or interaction, without the pause, it's really difficult for us to receive an answer. Because if you're like me, as soon as you move on to the next thing, your mind goes in a completely different direction. So the first circumstance that we need to filter this prayer through is actually again in Psalm 139 and it's when I feel rightly angry. Okay? When I feel rightly angry. That's exactly what David is struggling with in this psalm and many other places in the psalms if you're familiar with them at all there are times when he is just really ticked off <laughs> and feels like it's like a righteous anger, a justified anger in that way. So as we read this psalm and so far we've been looking at the, the knowledge of God and God's pursuit of us and, and God's beauty of his creation and all of those pieces. We take a significant shift 
in verse 19 where we read these words. David writes, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. (laughs) Away from me, he says, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you, God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies, he says. And it's after these verses, right, and David's obvious frustration and anger with people who are in opposition to God that he actually um, prays this prayer. And you can imagine him praying, search me, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay? I have watched the most gentle and self-controlled among us um, get angry. Okay? And appropriately angry many times. And, it, and if you're walking with God, not only will we get offended, but times we just get agitated or even angered. Things like how people treat other people. When you see abuse, when you see injustice, when you see someone who who disregards moral values or a complete disregard for God himself, even a, a defiant opposition of him, or denial of God and his work in this world, and it makes us rightly angry. So before we act, let's pause and let's pray for God to search us and to test us, and to lead us in how we should respond in those situations. This is how we try to make our responses less about us and more about his kingdom. And it's also how we separate inappropriate anger from righteous anger. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but it's a necessary one if we want God to be honored through our lives. So when you find yourself getting angry over things you think are right to be angry about, okay, before we act, before we speak on our behalf or on God's behalf, let's pray. So beyond our text in Psalm 139, uh, let me think with you through another circumstance uh, where this prayer might be appropriate, and that is when I feel wrongly accused. When I feel wrongly accused. Have you ever been misunderstood? Does that question even need to be asked? (laughs) Right? We all have in that way. Your actions, uh, your words, your motives are called into question. Okay? We've all been misinterpreted in that way. However, um, it's a different level of misunderstanding that leads to a false accusation regarding why we've done something or why we've said something. Um, You read through the Psalms, and this is a constant theme in David's Psalms about him being wrongly accused. Now, Peter almost sets up um, an expectation of this when he writes in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 17, maybe some words that you're familiar with, but maybe a little piece that you've lost track of. He says, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter says, be prepared to give an answer, but be prepared that your answer may not be liked, (laughs) may not be appreciated, may not be embraced. The English evangelist George Whitefield uh, wrote that he learned that it was more important to please God than to please men, um, and he did that knowing that he was doing what was honoring to God, and that kept him from being discouraged by all of the naysayers and critics of his work. Um, Whitefield received a vicious letter one time. People accusing and, and um, critiquing and just trying to take down all that he was trying to do with regard to the kingdom. And this was his response, brief and courteous, maybe more than you and I would write. He said, I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, catch this, I know worse things about myself than you will ever say. (laughs) With love in Christ, George Whitefield. (laughs) Okay, Isn't that the truth? Like, I know you can say things about me, but like if you really knew, (laughs) I know worse things about me than you're ever going to come up with, he says. He didn't try to defend himself because he was much more concerned about pleasing God and about accomplishing his work. And there are times when ultimately God has to be our defender, and our character has to be our defender, and our commitment to the scriptures have to be our our defender, okay? That said, sometimes there is truth in criticism, okay? And there are times when we are blind to our own motives, okay? Or oblivious to the effect that our actions have on others. So because of this, there's a great benefit in a response to our critics that would look like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me if there's truth so that I can make this right, God. Now, I think another circumstance in which this prayer is particularly appropriate is when I yearn for intimacy. Okay? Now, when we consider Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 on its own, okay, just as a prayer, not in the context of the rest of this psalm and not in the context of of the agitation that happened before of it, before it, this is how I have most addressed God with this prayer. Okay? There are times um, when either intuitively or experientially, I know that there's distance between God and myself. Like something is not right, that he and I are not in sync. Sometimes it's because I've neglected the relationship, honestly. Got too busy doing things that I forgot to be. Stop practicing the pause. Not taking time to relate with him. At other times, well, I know it's because I'm not right with another person. Sometimes I know it's because of sin in my life. 
Sometimes, frankly, it's just because I'm disappointed with what God is doing or not doing in regard to my prayers from my perspective. Okay? And, and it affects my relationship with him. It could be a number of things. Now, there are, um, there are times when this prayer for me has been like a prayer of confession or trying to um, root out sin. But I think I find there are better prayers for that in the, in the scriptures and better psalms. This particular psalm I just find is a great filter for, like before I act, whether it's in defense or whether it's to move forward in my faith. In these times, okay, these times where there's distance between God and I, I find that that closeness um, missing is something that I long for it to return. Okay? And I think God, like that's a benefit of our relationship with him, but God does not often respond to people who merely seek his benefits who are not willing to also seek his face. Okay? So when I yearn for intimacy, when I long to be closer to God, when I want to be in sync with Him, this is appropriate prayer. Okay? We, we're not going to feel deep connection with God unless we connect with Him. Okay? Overstating the obvious there. In his book, Enjoying Intimacy with God, J. Oswald Sanders makes this piercing observation. He says, we're at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be has more to do with us oftentimes than it does with him. He says, true, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but we are not prepared to pay the price involved. When we yearn to be closer to God, it makes sense for us to pray, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, yet there's only benefit from that prayer if when we seek him, we respond appropriately to what he reveals. And so if you long to be closer to God, listen to him, and then do what he says as a result of that prayer. And then finally, when, when we're in a good place with God, Right? We're ready to move forward when we sense that there's something significant about to happen. I think there's one more circumstance where I find this prayer very powerful, and that's when I yearn for impact. Okay? When I want to make a difference. When, someone, when, when, when God has someone's heart, okay, it's predictable that that person will want to leverage their life, their family, their relationships, uh, their job, Everything so that they can make a difference eternally. So that you and I can make a difference eternally in that way. Okay? Yet our yearning is often greater than our knowledge of exactly what it is that God wants us to do. Okay? So when we have a heart to do God's work, when we want to do God's will, but we're not sure what it is, I think it's appropriate to say, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way eternal, everlasting. 
See, when we yearn for impact, when we find ourselves asking God through a prayer like this to lead us down the path that he has uniquely in mind for us. Okay? Go back to that message that Drew preached two weeks ago where God says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I believe that completely. I just don't understand it completely. <laughs> I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I just don't always know what it is. And so I pray this prayer. I say, God, help me understand how I can live fruitfully for you. Okay? So if this morning you find yourself looking for answers more than echoes, okay? knowing all that God knows about you, like from this psalm, like sensing the completeness of his pursuit of you, appreciating the details with which he not only designed your life in terms of its creation, but also the path that he has for you, and you find yourself wanting to be led by him. Don't you think that's a prayer that God would answer? Don't you think that's the desire of his heart? Don't you think that's why he called each of us in relationship? See, Charlie's going to come up and, and just play some music in the background. And we're just going to create a pause in the service this morning. Just take a few minutes here. I'm going to put this prayer up on the screen. Okay, It's up there for you to see and for you to pray and for you to um, either use one of these filters of what's going on in your life. Um, you know what's going on and God knows what's going on. But I want you to anticipate his response as you pray, search me and know me and cleanse me and use me then afterwards i'll step back up and i'll close our message time with a prayer so let's take some time and seek him through this psalm this morning
It's a beautiful thing to be known um, so personally and yet loved so completely. It's the only, only place in our lives that it happens. This psalm has reminded us of the relationship that God wants with us. And some of you, some of us, we experience that relationship. And maybe for some, it's a relationship you've never quite um, known. Okay? Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. And I would just invite you to come to the back if you want to get to know this Jesus, this God who knows you so personally, who loves you so completely, and who has such an incredible plan for your life. Let's pray.